This is the Life at Work Conference podcast, an initiative of City Bible Forum. Hi, I'm Andrew Laird and welcome to the podcast where we meet real workers wrestling with real workplace issues. Today, a woman whose job it is to predict the future. No, we're not talking astrology or fortune telling, something far more reliable than that. A lot of people are scared about the future and like you said, I don't think that's the posture we need to have, but it's rather meeting the challenges with the new innovations, hopefully to create yeah more thriving communities. My guest today is Ashley Fell, Director of Advisory at McCrindle, a well-known Australian social research company founded by Mark McCrindle. I'm Andrew Laird, and this is the Life at Work Conference podcast. Welcome again to Season 2 of the podcast. It's wonderful to be back with you wrestling with a new range of workplace issues that affect people just like you. And as I mentioned, today I'm joined by Ashley Fell as we consider the topic, the future of work. Ashley has a passion for equipping organisations to navigate the complexities of the 21st century. And she does that by exploring and reporting on social trends in her role at McCrindle. She's also a Christian based in Sydney, which is where she joins us from now. So welcome, Ashley. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's uh, wonderful to have you join us. Now, social research, that expression I used just there, for the uninitiated, uh, what is that all about and why does it matter to me? Yeah, it's a really fascinating area of research. It's we are we used to sort of describe ourselves as a market research company, and I feel like that elicited sort of you know in people's minds the focus group rooms where people are testing you know products and people are behind the double glass sort of mirror, you know, with a client. And we actually do have focus group rooms in our office, but we are a lot more than just market research. Um, we are operating more in that social research area, which is really the study of human behavior. Mm. And we look at society and social trends and, you know, it's not scientific research, but we are running a lot of surveys to find out how people feel about certain topics or issues or behaviors or attitudes or beliefs. And we find that it's a really important part of research and even informs a lot of strategy that you know why organizations are making particular decisions Mm. so i feel like when i present you know at at conferences and i have a slide talking about what is social research then the next slide i have is a steve carell looking like a big nerd you know and underneath (laughs) it says i love excel and that really is like who we are at McGrindle. we are a bunch of data nerds but we also have i think a lot of empathy in our role to understand the human perspective um and yeah it's it's a really it's been such an interesting profession to be in for the last couple of years you know someone who studies society and behavior and change because we've just lived through so much change mm. so yeah it's, it's a really interesting field and i i love it yeah well, we're going to come to the uh that the covid question in just a moment's time and, mm-hmm. and reflect on that a little bit but just flesh it out a little bit more for for us you do this for a job so what is a, a typical day uh, look like for you? Is uh, is it a lot of talking to different people, I presume? Yeah, in my role it is. So um, we have a team of researchers who are on the tools, who are sort of conducting the analysis and running the focus groups. Uh, that was my role in a few years ago, actually. I started out in a research role, but I moved over to the communication of the insights now. So a lot of it is out traveling and speaking at conferences and delivering the content. I also sort of spent a bit of time turning our content into something digestible for sort of the wider public. So that could be media commentary, writing blogs. I've co-authored a couple of books with Mark, which are, that's not the day-to-day work, but a big part of my role over the last couple of years has been that. So really, I guess, telling the story of the stats Mm -hmm. and making it accessible and consumable. Um, But I love it. It's, you know, we're always 
learning new things about society and people and the team at McCrindle are great so I love working with people to who are passionate about data to help communicate it in, in interesting ways. It's interesting you say passionate about data there and um, and uh, Excel nerds as well too as you describe yourselves. So just take us back a, a little bit. I'd love to hear the story of how um, people end up in the current field of work that they're in. So how did you end up as a social researcher? You know, was there, have you just always loved data, always loved Excel? Um, not personally, to be honest. And it's interesting because um, we just hired someone recently and he's our data scientist. And he was actually my year 12 maths teacher. Right. And so, you know, it's so funny. It's kind of come full circle. And he's always like, Ash, you know, you want you to sell yourself with your maths ability. But it wasn't my favorite subject at school. I did gravitate more towards history and English. So even when I started at McCrindle, I mean, we love Excel and Excel does a lot of that hard <laughs> maths for you, you know, it, it spits out, a, it's a powerful tool, that one. But I think for me, as I reflect on my childhood and my life and even my teens and 20s, it has really led me here in terms of, I guess, I really enjoy storytelling. I really enjoy communicating. Um, I did debating when I was younger, I did public speaking. I worship lead at my church. So being in front of people hasn't ever sort of freaked me out but it's just been getting across the data and communicating that which is the skill I've sort of developed and honed at McCrindle but um yeah I feel like when I was a bit younger I wanted to maybe be a teacher if anything and then I went to uni and I just picked a degree that was a bit vague in the communications <laughs> field and it was called social inquiry and I chose it instead of journalism or PR because it was the most vague because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I was at uni and a friend of mine who I was who went to school with as well actually she was interning at McCrindle and she said oh you should apply they're looking for another researcher and I was like oh no nah, I want to go overseas when I finish uni and travel for a bit she's like I reckon maybe just interview and see so I met Mark um, before I finished uni actually and was just really taken by the role and the organization and the values and I've been here ever since for almost nine years now wow. um, so it felt like a real god moment in terms of directing my life um, yeah mm, it sounds like you found your sweet spot both in terms of you know some of that uh, that interest in numbers and data but by being in a role where the role particularly that you have is to to communicate that and tell the stories and as you say there that love of history of yours in some ways it's almost and we'll come to this as well uh, looking back is I'm sure a, a key part of the role but particularly looking forward as well too and trying to project in light of what is going on now um, Ash I'm just interested are you the kind of person who outside of work can't help yourself but just observe cultural trends that are going on uh, around you or, or can you switch off at all um, I I can switch off, but I as I reflected on this question, I feel like yes, I I do actually am a social researcher when I'm not at the office. I'll be travelling somewhere, and I'll I'll turn to my husband and I'll be like, "What do you think the demographics of this area are?" And he's just like, "What are you thinking about?" <laughs> and so, but even when I was at uni, I, I remember even I'd be on the bus travelling in because my university was in the Sydney CBD and I live outside of it, and I would just people watch and wonder what people's stories were. I do like to ask questions and find out about people's experience. So yeah, I think I have been one to observe the world around me, but now I have the tools at my disposal to really find out the stats and see how they line up with the observations. So yeah, I, I do probably find it a little bit hard to switch off. <laughs> now you just referred a, a moment ago to, to your Christian faith. So I'm just interested in exploring that a little bit and how that relates to your work. So um, as a Christian, what, what value do you see in the, in the work that you do? Uh, how what you produce, how what you communicate really uh, helps and serves uh, the wider society? 
Yeah, it's a really great question. And I think I always remember um, Mark sharing about you know, our strapline at McCrindle used to be know the times, shape the trends, and that's kind of gone through an evolution in the time I've been here over the last nine years. But that really was from 1 Chronicles 12 verse 32, which was men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And it was kind of based on that biblical concept and idea. And I guess what we do today is we try and paint an accurate picture of the trends that's happening and help empower organizations and churches um, in the not-for-profit space as well as corporate. We work across kind of a lot of different sectors and industries. Um, and I think that's really relevant today because we are living in a world of fake news mm. and you know post-modernity and, and that sort of thing. So I think we really try intentionally to be a positive voice that builds society and our kind of new and enhanced sort of strapline is we exist to empower human flourishing by promoting truth, wisdom and beauty. And mm. the truth comes from the insights and, and the data and the wisdom comes into that sort of advisory space, not just finding out what's happening, but also advising organisations and church leaders on what's going on. And also the beauty aspect around our infographics and communicating data in interesting ways and being storytellers. Mm. So yeah, I, I love it and I really feel um, a good affinity, um, I guess alignment actually to our, our organization's purpose and values and I just love that research and, and data and insights can actually help organizations do what they do with a more informed perspective and, and help at that strategic level so it's very uh, satisfying and yeah what maybe could be perceived with the excel and the demographics and the data to be quite maybe boring and dry we actually try and bring that to life and it's got a real deeper purpose to it which i know our team um, really love as well yeah i love i love all of that that's uh, that's wonderful speaking of knowing the trends and the the importance of uh, of knowing the trends let's just come to some of that now and uh it's pretty hard for us to avoid talking about COVID, even though a lot of us might be sick of talking about it You've obviously been observing the trends for, as you say, nine years in this role now. How big an impact do you think COVID has been? Have you, have you ever encountered anything like that before in terms of something which has such a massive impact on society, how we live, how we work uh, and beyond? Mm -hmm. Well, personally, no. And for, I think, many people, unless you lived maybe through a world war, this is the first sort of big societal event that has just changed everything, like you mentioned, from work to education to how we shop, you know, and I think we we conducted a lot of research during the, the different years of the pandemic, you know, in 2020 and 2021, and even now sort of in this post, hopefully, pandemic yeah. um, era. and. We wrote in one of the reports that we authored and, and published, we said much of what we had pre-COVID we will never see again. We're not moving to the next but the new mm. and it is not a continuation of how things were but the start of a whole new reality. And I guess that's our role is to help organisations understand that reality and, and that. But I think one of the other big areas we've seen a huge um, shift in and I guess really aligned to even the topic of this podcast is is work mm. and just the future of work and we say it's the biggest transformation to work in a century which is a huge claim but yeah just huge sort of impacts on 
on people's where people's um, work is being done, how it's being done, the flexibility, the work from home, and that has huge implications for leaders around building culture, around attracting and retaining teams. Uh, there's other shifts that are happening as well around sort of artificial intelligence mm. and um, and robotics. But in terms of that sort of societal shift, yeah, it's it's unlike anything we've ever seen. And I think the other image that I like to show in presentations is um, is only a couple of times in the last sort of 100 years where Australia's migration has dipped below zero, and it's during world wars and COVID. And again, our, we rely so heavily on. Um, migration for our population growth. We've now seen as a result of that skill shortages, you've got the great resignation and the, what we call the great reprioritization. So yeah, I, I think people are understandably a bit fatigued and overwhelmed mm. by let's, oh, let's keep talking about COVID, but I don't think we can under, understate how big of an impact it has had and it's going to have in the future as well. Yeah, and just personally, that must have been, while COVID has had a detrimental effect on, on so many lives in so many different ways, from from your perspective in terms of the type of work you do personally it must have been quite a a significant and fulfilling in some ways period to be working to be working through such massive societal change that the likes of which we haven't seen for many years and hopefully might not see again for for a number of years is that the case for you yeah i mean gosh what an interesting time in history to A, be alive mm. and B, to be a social researcher in terms of someone who's observing societal change and, and commenting on it and trying to make sense of it in presentations and podcasts and research. And I guess for us as an organisation, uh, Mark and I and a couple of others who go out and speak at conferences, that part of our business really collapsed because there were no mm. events, nothing was happening. But the other side of our organisation, which is the research, was flourishing because every organisation was trying to understand how their customers were changing and how going their workforce was, what's going on, how to respond. So it's just, it's been, yeah. And the research showed people were struggling. There were financial challenges, mental health challenges, physical challenges. But there's also been, yes, yeah, some, I guess, changes, societal changes like around work, which maybe have have hopefully had a positive impact. So the silver lining has also been interesting to sort of explore as well. Yeah, well, look, we're going to explore that a little bit more in just a moment, particularly those changes around the workplace. And I like that expression that you used a moment ago, moving from... Uh, to the next to the new, I think it was that you that you said. Rather than a return to pre-COVID, uh, what is what is next for us, particularly in relation to the workplace? We're going to do that in just a moment. Before we do, we'll take a short break and then turn our attention to that trends that Ashley might be able to share with us specifically in relation to the workplace and some of the implications there might be for the future of work. So more on that just after this. Loving this podcast? Then don't miss the next Life at Work conference, Saturday, February 18th, 2023. Wherever you are around Australia or the world, join us as we consider the future of work, how to love your colleagues and share Jesus in an ever-changing landscape. You can watch alone, host a watch party, or join others at a local hub. Tickets are on sale now at citybibleforum.org slash lifeatworkconference. Well, welcome back. I'm speaking with McCrindle's Ashley Fell. Ashley, we're going to come to the workplace and current and future trends in just a moment. But first, I'd love to hear about a really unusual or bizarre or memorable trend that you've encountered in your work, one that just took you by surprise. Is there one like that that springs to mind for you? Yeah, I, I have a stat that I love to share at barbecues and things like that. I love to talk about because people feel, it always elicits a pretty like visceral reaction. Everyone's like, whoa, that's crazy. Mm. 
And it's the fact that, or our prediction actually, that a school leaver today, a Gen Z, someone um, yeah, about to enter the workforce, is likely to have mm. 18 jobs across six careers in their lifetime. And it's based wow. on... Yeah, exactly. And it's based <laughs> on the average tenure of people staying in their jobs now for just under three years. So if we use that average and extrapolate that over the lifetime of a some of someone who's yeah about to enter the workforce noting that they'll live longer because we're pushing back mm. sort of our life expectancy and they'll probably work later there's that stat so they're very career mobile and i i share that in presentations and employers kind of look wide-eyed going oh that's that's really scary but um yeah it's it's amazing uh, i think it's an incredible generation we've got coming through and and they're going to be very career mobile yeah, yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. If there's a barbecue stopper uh, stat to take take with you to the next barbecue that you're at, and we're going to talk about those younger generations coming into the workplace uh, shortly. But but Ashley, let's uh, let's think about some of the current and future trends that you're seeing in your research around the workplace. Just give us a snapshot of what some of those major trends are that you're noticing, particularly in the wake of the pandemic. Yeah, for us, it's definitely I think around the work from home hybrid work where and how mm. work is done. We're actually undertaking a study at this very moment around that and leading culture and teams in a decentralised working environment where organisations and leaders are trying to work out now how to bring people back to the office, how to meet the expectations of different generations with regards to working from home and flexibility and trust. And I think for us, what we've seen is, you know, young younger generations like Generation Z, I was actually speaking to a friend of mine recently and he said to me, he was like, yeah, I've only been in the workforce for two years. So started sort of working during the pandemic mm. and he works for a tech company. He's like, I've never gone back to the office. He's like, my only working experience has been fully remote. And that's just yeah. such a different experience to people who are older and more experienced. And even reflecting on it and the research shows us that younger generations almost expect flexible working now because we've yes. had it for so long, but older generations often see it as a real privilege. So how do you navigate that tension? So mm. the work from home, the <laughs> flexibility is there that we're already seeing and some future ones as well. Wow, there is so much there that we could uh, unpack and uh, no doubt there's a there's a podcast episode in each of those things. Yeah. And speaking of that, you actually do host uh, a podcast uh, called The Future Report, so we'll give a, a quick plug to that as well too, where you do raise and address a lot of these issues that we're discussing. So uh, if you want to check that one out and uh, hear Ashley speaking about some of these things in a little bit more detail, I encourage you to have a listen to that. One of the episodes that um, you released uh, in recent months that was particularly helpful for me just in understanding myself but also in terms of the other people in my life or the people that I'm at work one with was one on HOGO. Um, can you tell us what is what is HOGO and how have you seen that impacting workplace trends in the past six to 12 months and whether things have, have shifted at all? Yeah, it's an acronym, so H-O-G-O, -O, and it stands for Hustle of Going Out. So we actually, yeah, conducted some research on this. I think <laughs> it was late last year, just around, and I guess for a lot of Australia, I mean, Sydney especially, we were still in various stages of lockdown. Um, and just to, I guess, understand people's perspective and attitude towards kind of re-emerging back into society after this kind of prolonged period of lockdowns and restrictions and even fearing others and you know, how, how do we get back to community and that term HOGO is kind of based on two other terms which people might be aware of they're more more acronyms that are similar one is FOMO fear of missing mm. out and it talks about you know it's a term used maybe about more so Gen Z and their social media mm. activity where they see
see the highlight reels of their friends and it's fear of missing out. And I often say if you're a bit older or more experienced in your life or a bit further on, maybe it's not FOMO but JOMO, the, the joy of missing out, you know, where you don't fear it but you enjoy <laughs> a night in, you know, to yourself. You know, so I think it's all based on, on that and this HOGO concept. But what we wanted to do with the research is to yeah understand where people were at and communicate that for leaders um, of organisations, even of churches, that coming back and re-emerging actually is taking a little bit more time than maybe we expected. There was definitely a desire for people to want to be back in community, but also uh, we had to sort of realise that people needed to ease into that and just maybe take it a bit slower. So I think for us as Christians, you know, we know that we know we're made to be in relationship with others and in and community mm. with others. And for many, actually about 70% of Australians, the workplace is where they find community and it's key for their social interaction, even more than their homes and their families, which is incredible. So mm. I think if anything, it means we need to maybe work hard at getting people back into those rhythms which we know are healthy but it's just been we say COVID was not really a pause but a full stop because it just went on for so long the lockdowns and mm. changing restrictions and that fatigue many of us felt so HOGO hassle of going out and just being aware that some people still find that it may be a little bit of a hassle to get back out there yes yeah no the HOGO resonates with me to still to agree although of those ones you mentioned before I think it's the JOMO for me <laughs> I, I, I I straddle millennial slash Gen X yeah. and I can kind of go either way depending on what mood I'm in. But the, the JOMO, the joy of missing out, uh, very much res- resonates yeah, me with, uh, with me in my <laughs> stage of life. Me too, absolutely. <laughs> Now, you've mentioned a number of the different generations there and some of the younger generations, um, like the Gen Z, like the, the Gen Alpha, which I is a, is a, is a term that uh, your, your colleague, or Mark, who set up McGrindle Research, uh, actually coined. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a little bit of a, a claim to fame to have, have coined a, a generational term. Yeah. I want to think particularly about some of those younger generations who are coming into the workforce or are about to come into the workforce. And often... Um, Perhaps older employers or older people in the workplace might have a disparaging perspective when it comes to thinking about younger generations. And you mentioned some of those generational divides that are happening in terms of flexibility just a moment ago. But what are some of the real uh, benefits and uh, advantages that those younger generations are, are bringing into the workplace? Well, we say we've got kind of five key words that we use to describe Gen Z, and that's that they are digital, social, global, mobile, and visual. And I think the other, and I guess they're pretty self-explanatory in terms of technology that has shaped them, social media, Mm. um, access to any piece of information on the planet, mobile in terms of their career and, and job, and visual in terms of how they like to engage with information. But I think something else that has been an age-old sort of thing is that intergenerational sort of warfare and sometimes I use this quote in presentations you know about understanding Generation Z and it's youth today love luxury they they lay their legs on the table they tyrannize their elders and then I don't reveal who said it but it was actually Socrates in 500 BC and people go oh that could have been you know a comment from today and and it is this kind of age-old thing so it's important to be aware of that but what our research is also finding is that these younger generations are really driven and ambitious and they want to work with purpose and they want to work for an organization where their values align with them so there's some key benefits there I think there is that there's always going to be a challenge um, and managing the expectation whether it's work from home whether it's advancement or training you know I think 
younger generation are so ambitious, which is great, but they're like, well, why haven't I been promoted yet? Or why they just kind of want to fast track things. So it's maybe helping yeah. them understand the journey that it needs to take. But we also have um, a bit of an acronym we call CPI, which stands for Culture, Purpose and Impact. And we really do believe that I think every generation, but particularly younger generations are expressing this desire to work for an organization that has a great culture, that have that has a really strong purpose and where they feel like their work is having an impact. And I think the other thing I would say mm. is that to get the most out of these younger generations in terms of tenure, but also just helping them in their career, we know from our research that and, and I'm sure many of us can identify with this when we started our careers, is that you want to be invested in, you want training and development and to see mm. a pathway forward, especially early on in your career. So if organisations can, I think, understand that and utilise the great benefits, you know, and the, the unique perspective that these generations are bringing, that's, I think, a really great way to sort of view people coming into the workforce who are of a different generation, who are different to them, rather than that kind of, oh, just these young kids who are entitled, mm. or whatever it might be, whatever that stereotype mm. might be. Yeah. Uh, look, you've begun, began answering this question already, but I guess thinking particularly from a Christian perspective, and say I'm a, I'm a Christian boss who's listening to this, and I've got... Um, uh, Gen Zs who I'm having my team or I might be uh, looking as candidates to hire. The Christian boss, how can they particularly um, embrace those those differences in a really positive way that uh, that actually might be a, a powerful witness to to younger people who are coming into the workplace and experience something from a boss that perhaps they haven't experienced elsewhere? Yes, I think it's a really great question. I think it is there's there's an element and I kind of alluded to it in the last answer I think as you picked up Andrew just around the there is an opportunity to for the organization and for the people in that that team to benefit from a different someone in a different generation a different perspective I mean these younger generations um, have an awareness of technology and social media and what their peers are doing so even to reach that consumer cohort there's a great opportunity to use these young people in that regard to give insight into that but I think to give back to them, it's also about, I guess, mentoring and investing into the next generation. And I think when we when we do that, you know, we, and I think all of us can remember, I mean, I've had it before where I've worked under great leaders who have done that, who've equipped me, who've trained me, who've not just stopped there, but actually empowered me to do something and then trusted me to go and do it. It's okay if you fail, that's how you learn. So then it's just an opportunity to, yeah, mentor the next generation. They are the future. And I, yeah, I think it is, like you said, an opportunity also to be a great witness as a Christian. Mm -hmm. Well, on the flip side though, now thinking about speaking to the the millennial or the Gen Z who's who's coming into the workplace, what about for them, the, the Christian who's a, a younger person coming into the workplace? What sort of ways should their faith do you see perhaps impact uh, the kind of perspective that they bring to their work and the, the perhaps the things that they should be aware of where there might be points of tension or difference with the older generations that they'll work with? I think it's, it really comes back to understanding and just having a bit of empathy and realising that people are... Um, have been shaped in different times and different eras and that maybe older generations are a bit more resistant to change or resistant to technology, maybe just taking that moment to understand why that is the case and what has shaped them. Um, I think it's 
maybe goes without saying, but maybe it's worth saying to respect your elders and to also, you know, draw on in the same way that I've just encouraged maybe older workers to draw on the strength of younger generations. It goes the other way as well in terms of drawing on life experience and wisdom and older generations have got amazing skills that younger generations I think would benefit to learn in terms of skills that you don't get from technology interpersonal skills which actually are going to become increasingly important as we move to more machine assisted workplaces it will be those uniquely human skills that a computer or a robot can't actually replicate interpersonal leadership empathy creativity those sorts of things that will become more important so I think just drawing on those experiences and wisdom and not being dismissive of of that perspective. And one of my favorite movies, which I really like to talk about in this sort of context is The Intern by um, Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro. And it starts out two generations, an older senior intern comes in and there's like, oh, what value is he gonna bring? You know, his perspective might be outdated. This is a young millennial company, but he actually shows through them building trust and relationship, he's got immense value and he becomes this amazing mentor, if not like a best friend. So I think it's just realizing that we've all got different strengths and different perspectives and we can engage with more diverse communities and customers when we actually have more diverse teams in the workplace as well. So drawing on the different perspectives, but for younger generations, respecting your elders is certainly important. <laughs> I need my kids to listen to this one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, look, that's a theme that I've heard come through in a lot of your work as well, that, you know, rather than that generational war, uh, particularly our workplaces will be so much richer when we respect the differences of those generations and seek to embrace uh, the, the, the positive things that each generation can bring. Uh, we'll be richer for it. We've been talking a little bit there about, I guess, current trends, the current workplace. So let's just uh, spend a couple of moments now thinking about the, the future of work. And you've, you've already alluded to a couple of, of, of future trends, but what are some of the predictions that you might uh, be making for the workplace of the future? What should we be doing now to be getting ready for it so that we can lead well and work well in it? Yeah, we do a lot of um, advising on this topic. We actually speak to a lot of schools and and principals and leaders around this because they're at the the front lines of equipping the next generation for this future of work. And one of the key sort of trends we are predicting and and seeing already is this manual to machine learning, that shift from manual work to machines helping us do that. Um, And so that's kind of, yeah, robotics, artificial intelligence. um, And I think To be honest, when people talk about the future of work, sometimes I wonder if that's just like a synonym phrase for will a robot take my job? Like if that's kind of the the fear we have, which is a valid fear, Mm. I think in some ways, like because I think anything that can be automated will be automated to make the work we do as humans maybe more meaningful and and easier in our bodies physically, those sorts of things. So there's that shift. But at the same time, there's another shift happening, which seems maybe counterintuitive to that first trend, but it's actually from technology to humans. So as that sort of machine learning comes in, I think what we're going to see is more um, a need for more sort of human skills, uniquely human skills, like I mentioned before, around creativity and complex problem solving and empathy and leadership, those things that a robot or a computer can't sort of automate. Another trend we're already seeing, which is a direct impact from the pandemic that's just fully accelerated, is from fixed ways of working to more flexibility. So around the time and the place and the team and the culture and the office and uh, what that looks like, where people are actually doing that work and how we create meaningful work Mm. that we collaborate with others but also meet those sort of changing needs around 
productivity and and well-being around flexibility. And another one I would say is from profit to people, which I think is a really good shift that's taking place Mm. just around organisations realising that to actually impact the bottom line, they need people who are thriving in their work, who aren't burnt out, who find meaning and purpose and aren't just coasting, but are are challenged in a healthy way around their work that can have an impact and and align to some values. So some positive, I think, shifts there and maybe some other ones, even just around that sort of robotics piece that we just need to grapple with a little bit and, and work out how we can do our best work in the future. Yeah, well, that's a, a nice segue into the final question that I wanted to ask you, Ashley. And you mentioned automation there and the fears that many might have about uh, the future of work. And yet I think um, fear is not necessarily the right posture that we should have for the future of work, that there's a lot that is positive and uh, exciting about it. And so maybe to close with, what excites you about the future of work and the trajectory that we are on? You've, you've alluded to some of it there, but maybe flesh that out a little bit more for us. Yeah, I think that the technology and innovation piece is really exciting. And I agree with you, Andrew, in terms of it's, I don't think we need to have a posture of fear around that um, because it's here to serve us, technology and robotics. It's, it's here to make the meaningful work that we do, again, easier physically if there can be some labour intensive aspects or even just repetitive tasks that are a bit monotonous and boring. A computer maybe can automate and can do that, which means it frees us up as human beings to sort of maybe work in areas that are a bit more meaningful or complex. So I think that's a positive thing. I think technology is is going to be exciting in the future. I, I did see, and we, that doesn't mean we don't need to be aware of the downsides mm. of it. And I, I've heard this quote, I don't know who I need to attribute it to, <laughs> but it's not an original from me or anything, but I've heard someone say technology is an excellent servant, but a dangerous master. Yes. And that can be applied to lots of different areas around social media and, and screens and, and usage, but it's here when it does what it's intended to do, it's here to serve us. Mm. So I think that's exciting. I think the emerging generations uh, coming into the workplace and seeing the impact they will have is is really exciting. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Mark McCrindle's kind of random claim to fame is that he named Generation <laughs> Alpha. And we co-authored a book on them, we released that last year. And it's called Generation Alpha, and the subtitle of the book is Understanding Our Children and Helping Them Thrive. And the oldest of them will be reaching teenagehood Mm. sort of next year. They'll be turning 13. So it'll be interesting to see them kind of move into that space. There's a lot of research that other organisations have conducted where people are saying this generation is going to be more creative, more caring about the environment. Um, And not that we're pinning all of our hopes on them. Every generation's got their challenges. But I think the future is exciting for them um, around work, around meaningful work, flexibility, uh, technology. So, yeah, I'm excited for the future. I think we do take a positive look and I think that comes from being a Christian organisation as well or or a team of Mm. people who are Christians but yeah a lot of people are scared about the future and like you said I don't think that's the posture we need to have but it's rather meeting the challenges with the new innovations hopefully to create yeah more thriving communities more thriving workplaces um, as well. That's wonderful. Look, Ashley, I could talk to you all day and love to unpack uh, so many more of the things that you've talked about, particularly Generation uh, Alpha, which is what my three kids, that's their, that's their generation. So I'm oh, fascinated right. by that. But we'll leave that for another time. Thank you so much uh, for what you have shared with us today. You've given us heaps to think about, lots of application for the workplace, and particularly from a Christian perspective, thinking about how those generational differences we can we can embrace and really um, lean into and, and lead into in ways that uh, 
that are distinct and different and very attractive as we as we work well across the generations. So make sure you uh, check out more of Ashley's work and insights on her podcast, The Future Report. I mentioned that earlier. But uh, Ashley, thanks again so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Well, look, that brings us to the end of episode one of season two of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And why not share or leave us a review so others can find us too. But look, on our next episode, never more hostile, never more open. We're talking about what it's like being a Christian in the workplace in the current climate, how in the public square there might be hostility towards Christians, but at a personal level, there can often be a great openness amongst some like never before. So I'll be joined for that episode by award-winning Australian author Stephen McAlpine to discuss how we navigate the whole world of D&I in the workplace in a, a winsome and generous way. But until then, I'm Andrew Laird and you've been listening to the Life at Work Conference podcast. The Life at Work Conference podcast is produced by City Bible Forum. To find out more and register for the conference, go to citybibleforum.org slash lifeatworkconference. Enjoyed this podcast? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and leaving a rating so others can find us too. Join us next time on the Life at Work Conference podcast with Andrew Laird. Andrew Laird.